And we are live with our 41st, I said that right, 41st episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back once again. Uh, this is going to be our last episode of the year. So uh, apparently we made it to 41 episodes. We, we missed a few here and there, like a few weeks, uh, but we can't do it. Up. We got to leave you wanting at some point, right, Ken? Yeah, or just because like, you know, we get busy and have stuff going on. So um, anyways, uh, that aside, I guess we should talk. So we do have a special guest tonight. And before we get to uh, introducing Will and um, talking through all the things he's doing, uh, the things he's done and um, cloud security and things like that. Uh, as you may know, we now do an AppSec Minute. Uh, we started doing that, what, five, six, seven episodes ago? Yeah. Uh, so this week on at, on the AppSec Minute, we wanted to talk about uh, finding uh, hidden files and directories. There was a post, a medium post that came out, I'm not sure, within the last week, um, looks like from a bug bounty hunter or, a, you know, bug bounty security researcher, I guess, on medium.com. We'll post the link up in the, in the different channels. But basically uh, this, it harkened back to a time that uh, we, we had a discussion about it, Ken, me, you, uh, Chris Gates. It was something that he does often when he was doing recon for red teaming. Um, but one of the things that is identified often is the .git directory. So developers have a tendency to leave these files around and actually push them out to production or test instances. And those directories can be used to recreate a full branch of the source code, which includes any of the secrets that happen to be hit, hidden in there. Um, so the one thing that I wanted to talk about was recognizing the difference between 404 and 403, right? So if you hit a, a dot .git directory, uh, you know, like, example.com slash dot git and you get a 404 error that means that the directory is not found um, if you get a dot if you get a 403 it means the directory is there but you can't actually see a listing of it and there's ways that you can go about just identifying the files that are in there like dot git is a known format that directory is in a known format and you can pull back different files based on what they have to be named inside of dot git for git to be able to function right um, can I, I mean, what, what else did, uh, no, yeah. no, you're right. Like, I mean, so there's a couple points there. One is that, yeah, I mean, if you've got like, uh, if you've got the, if you've got access to a dot git folder, like literally like example.com forward slash dot git, um, and you can, I, I forget exactly the mechanics of how it works. Cause it's been a few years since Chris and I were, and you were talking about this and, um, he was actively using this as a red teamer, um, as a, con I think at the time he was a consultant, I, I can't remember. Anyways, uh, basically the get in, uh, there's an index and based off that get index, you can reassemble the objects and basically reassemble the source code. So you don't necessarily need to go to a like forward slash dot get, and then, you know, have each individual like file there. All you need is, you know, really the index to be able to, um, and the associated object folders, I believe is how it works. Again, it's been a while, but I think that's the, the part you talked about with 404 and 403. 
Um, years back, uh, Rob Fuller did a post on Durbuster um, and exporting the Durbuster uh, um, database to Burp. That was something he and I both were actually doing. Um, and someone asked, like, why would you guys do that? Um, and the reason was that you can't go purely by response codes. They're helpful. Like you're saying where you get a 403, maybe there's more, you know, assets within that folder or, um, you know, you could do some recursive, um, essentially brute forcing discovery, uh, on that file path. But, uh, point is that it's not always a response code that matters. Sometimes it's the actual length of the, um, the length of the response and other factors um, that you take into account. And that's where like Burp Suite's intru uh, intruder tool was made using like durability there. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I that, that post has a good write up of how it actually works. Right. Um, and what, what you're saying is exactly right. Like you go into the index and you actually figure out what the objects are and then you can pull the different objects based on what's on the index and then actually do the recreation. Right. So it, it walks you through those different steps. The interesting thing was that the, he took it a step further. So he talks about dot, he talks about Git, but he also talks about subversion and some of the other uh, tools that are out there that developers use. Um, I mean, if you look at the top of that article, what he talks about IDE configuration files as well, uh, which is one that, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily in my list. I need to go back through and look, but that's, that's one that we do see within those, uh, those project source files uh, or source directories all the time is those IDE files that could have some, some sensitive content in them as well. So there's a whole bunch of other types of files that you want to make sure you're looking for when you're running an assessment uh, just to, I mean, it's low-hanging fruit when it really comes down to it. If any of that's included, it gives you a whole bunch of information about the, the project, the application, how to, how to exploit it, or how to, you know, other interesting things to look at, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, we usually talk about source code review. We just talk about a lot of other things, but there's definitely like that, uh, like that's one of the first one of the first few steps uh, in dynamic, my dynamic testing methodology is that kind of discovery. So, yep, yep, yep. So make make sure it's included in your discovery, um, and you know, hit us up on Twitter if you want to talk about it. Or if you've got other techniques that you use, um, or jump in Slack, uh, we'd be interested to talk through that. So, all right, so that covers AppSec Minute for today. Uh, now we're going to actually introduce Will since he's been sitting there so patiently. <laughs> um. Will is a, actually, Ken, why don't you go ahead? You've got it up in front of you. Well, Will's a senior security engineer at Netflix, but more so than that, um, uh, Will and I finally, I finally got to meet you in person at AppSec USA, which was nice. Yep. Like, you know, meeting somebody off Twitter in person, it's always nice. Definitely. So I think, uh, I forget. Yeah. Somebody from NCC, I think, or something like that. I mentioned yeah. Clint. wanted to meet you and Clint. Oh yeah. Yeah. Clint. Absolutely. So yeah, that was really, it was nice to meet you. Um, nice to meet you as well. And, ah, thanks. And <laughs> if you don't know Will, which I, I think like, to be honest with you, I think most people who are watching this podcast probably do know about you. Um, but, uh, you know, Will's, so Will's recently done an AWS reInvent talk. Um, he, uh, he's spoken at AppSec USA, AppSec Cali, um, all day DevOps, TEDx. You did a TEDx in El Paso? Yeah, my hometown. 
Oh, very cool. Yeah, very cool. Fun. That had to be like nice to go back home and and do like a because I mean that's that's a professional sort of like platform for speaking. So that's kind of a big one. I I, I think. Yeah, it was neat. It was uh, really great to. Yeah, I was humbled to be invited, and it's great to go back to El Paso and kind of uh, contribute back to that community. Um, you know, I, I go back often, but it's great to go back in that format. Nice. Yeah, that is a great opportunity. And I watched some of the talk and kudos to you. You're a good speaker. I appreciate it. Um, Besides SF and Bay Area, you're part of that OWASP uh, sort of leadership team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For, I I guess, for two-ish, three years now, something like that. Back when uh, Michael Coates was running it, he put out a call for, hey, who wants to help? And actually myself and Travis, who Travis being the chapter leader, met at, uh, at the place, at the, the restaurant. Uh, we were waiting for the meeting to start. And uh, I heard overheard him talking about static analysis uh, for Go using this tool, Gas. And I was like, oh, I love, uh, you know, I love that. But more specifically, I love Bandit. And he's like, I wrote Bandit. <laughs> and like the, re- the relationship has started, right? <laughs> and oh, that so is awesome. Now, since Travis has taken over the reins, uh, you know, joined him there at the, at the AppSec. Uh, or with OWASP in the Bay. Uh, we actually uh, both joined Netflix and we coordinated our start dates. Um, <laughs> so we, we joined the same team on the same day. It was kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, when we've talked, so this has come up before, you know, like how do I get to the professional AppSec realm? Uh, and like, it really does, putting yourself out there and, and going to these uh, meetups and just mm-hmm. volunteering for things and attending, uh, ends up like that you know like you end up being some like-minded folks yeah definitely such a small world and uh everyone that i've actually interacted with in our community has been great and it's funny because we actually uh we actually talk about bandit a little bit in our uh, seth and i when we talk about python source code analysis Mm -hmm. it's kind of kind of funny well, well, maybe um, we should have uh, Travis come in and tell us about, you know, talk about actually building it. But no, I, we'll, we'll get into that. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's not super formal. Uh, and sorry if there's some noise. I'm uh, doing a little bit of remodeling. Um, and so there's uh, a lot of activity going on. Um, so, you know, one of the things we typically get into um or, you know, it's your origin story. Uh, I, by the way, I noticed you worked at Sigital, which I did not know actually until uh, yep. I was doing a little homework on you. And that's interesting because Sigital, uh, some good folks have and had worked there, um, like John Steven, yep. um, Katrina. Um, how do I, uh, I'm going to butcher the name. Good. I think Cassinia? it's Katrina. Yeah, sorry, Cassine. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I always like, I'm the worst with being able to, to remember how to correctly pronounce names. So, yep. uh, but anyways, uh, so yeah, some good folks came from Sigital. So, what was your role there? I'm curious. Uh, yeah, Sigital was uh, just a senior security consultant. Uh, I was out of the Texas office. Uh, I'm from Texas originally and moved out to the Bay Area a little over three years ago. Uh, but I was uh, just doing consulting in Texas for them out of uh, the Dallas office and uh, supporting local and remote clients, doing a little bit of everything from like ARAs to red teaming um, and physical uh, like pen tests. Uh, oh, nice. and, and once again, like a super small world, I met someone in person at reInvent 
that used to work at a client that I worked at and had heard of a story of a physical pen test I did at that client after he left. And it was like this small, like he worked at this client. I had done a physical pen test right after he left. And then, you know, years later, he had heard about the story and this mysterious guy from Sigital and then figured out that it was me. And then we actually connected at reInvent. Is <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And honestly, physical, oh my God, I love physical. Uh, the, so I've done only, I want to say one client, but multiple times mm-hmm. of doing like physical penetration testing or like whatever, you know, just trying to really get in. Right. Um, that's so much fun. Like I don't find, I'll be honest with you. I don't find the same like adrenaline thrill from oh. apps like that as I do that. No, it's it. Uh, that's definitely the adrenaline rush and like the closest to being a spy that uh, I'll ever get probably. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're not trying, I mean, you're trying, you're trying not to get caught. Try not to set off any alar- alarms. You're trying to get like the, the, we didn't get to the data center, but the team we ended up partnering with, like another company we ended up partnering, partnering with on follow on years actually got into the data center, which is like taking oh, nice. pictures, you know, of them, them with their teeth inside the data center. So those types of things are like, yeah, what, what, a, like, what, a, what a lot of fun, or it's a lot of fun. So. Yeah, no. That story that the guy had heard of, I had actually crawled up into a firewall uh, to try to break into a device room and dropped a gallon tea jug on the door handle to latch the door open. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty creative. And uh, when my teammate went to like reproduce the steps to show him how he got in, like the tea jug actually exploded on the door handle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's that's how you that's how you make a name for yourself. Yeah, yeah, the crazy stuff that, uh, well, I mean, so, and actually, I guess we can, we can go back and what trying to to understand, I think one of the reasons we asked this about the origin story is trying to understand like what, you know, is there any common denominator between folks who end up in security? What age did they sort of like, what events and what age did it sort of become? Like, I think this is, you know, the security path is for me. And just really like, you know, um, kind of showing your progression and how you got to be where you are now. Um, yep. Discussing, kind of walking through that. So go far, go as far back as you need. Sure. So I was born on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so uh, I think, uh, you know, back in sixth grade, I took a computer course in middle school. And I always say that I knew the internals of Windows better back then than I do now. Uh, I spent so much time on a computer learning how to do HTML and just the internals. And that was back like AOL days with punters and, you know, all the fun stuff that used to exist. Um, And I kind of, you know, just fell in love with computers, Uh, kind of forgot about them when I went to high school. Uh, I was, you know, I played baseball and football and kind of did the the athletics thing. Um, But senior year took a programming course. Uh, and used to send like viruses back and forth to my friend as we learned how to program, like click on this and uh, watch the CD player eject uh, rapidly until you actually reboot your computer, you know, just like harmless shenanigans. Um, but I actually wanted to be a doctor, you know, funny enough, like an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I had played sports. My sister was in school for medicine or pre-med. And uh, <clears throat> it wasn't until like, you know, as corny as this sounds like, I saw the movie, The Recruit with Al Pacino and Colin Farrell. 
That's a good and, movie. That's a good yeah, movie. it's my favorite. Uh, you know, Colin's like the hacker that gets recruited by the CIA. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh, so I applied to the NSA student program. Didn't get in. Uh, but at that point, I was kind of set on computers. Uh, I went to study at Texas A&M uh, and kind of just forgot about security-ish, like the hacking perspective, and just went to school for uh, software and hardware. Uh, started working at Raytheon in college um, and uh, then fell back into security like through just my progression there at Raytheon. Uh, you know, started as an embedded software developer, uh, did a year a rotation in hardware and firmware, and then slowly got into like anti-tamper and reverse engineering. And that's where it like really kicked in like, oh yeah, the security thing. I used to like this a lot. Uh, <laughs> it rekindled your sort of passion yeah. for that, I guess. Yeah, no. And then uh, they had the cyber professional program. It was like a six month boot camp where we covered everything from, you know, reverse engineering and fuzzing to network attacks and stuff. Uh, and so I went through that and then couldn't really find, um, or I guess during that whole time I was doing a master's as well in security uh, and setting up home labs and those kind of things. Uh, but I couldn't find a position at Raytheon that really, uh, you know, meshed well with me. And I ended up leaving Decidual. And uh, that was interesting because uh, I was lucky enough to just rotate from project to project. Uh, I was one of those in, uh, consultants that never said no, even if I didn't know how to do it. Uh, and just figured out how to do it and spent the time. Uh, but that year at Sigital was like one of the best years of my career because I got to see so much, uh, so many different industries, so many different assessment types. Uh, it really kind of expanded my, I, my view of security and my experience. Um, and from there, I went to Lockheed Martin uh, to, to, to kind of be a consultant there as well, uh, an internal consultant at Lockheed as well as external so at, at, at that point, I kind of did the best of, best of both worlds. <clears throat> I got to do consultant on the private side, uh, as well as consultant internally on the government side. Uh, and actually got to move to Japan for six months to uh, run oh. security operations nice. for the F-35 program over there. Uh, and then while I was over there, uh, a buddy of mine from Citadel recruited me out to the Bay uh, to go work for a healthcare startup and uh, helped him run that security team. And kind of build that out for a year and a half before, uh, you know, getting the opportunity to come down here to Netflix. And uh, so I've been here almost two years now. The, the time's really flying and been working on a lot of fun uh, cloud security things and uh, learning what it's like to operate at scale. Yeah, no, uh, uh, really no joke scale there, too. I mean, one of the things you mentioned is like sort of an intangible skill. Um because you had mentioned like, I was sort of one of those cult consultants that uh, just figured stuff out. And in reality, like that's always, it's always a hard thing um, to be honest with you. That's exactly what you want. That's what you, that's what I want. When I, when I like hired somebody, I yeah. wanted somebody who could figure things out uh, at the same time. It's hard to, it's hard to gauge that. Well, it's hard to gauge that from an interview. Um, certainly. But also like, you know, uh, sometimes that sort of like melds into the whole, uh, you know, I don't want to say like the reality is as a consultant, you've got billable time, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got where like, there's always that line we talk about where like there's, there's how much bleeds over from work time and the hours that you're putting in like 40 hours or whatever billable time and like how much extra do you have to do for the R and D part of that for figuring it out? Is it, is it baked into billable hours? 
things like that. So, but going back to the original sort of point here is that like, that is a great skill, um, being willing to just kind of figure things out. Yeah. Seth, I, I think, think you're going to say, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, no, I was going to agree with you, right? Like, I, you know, Ken and I met at fishnet, like under similar circumstances though. Right. Um, is like the people that prosper kind of in that consulting world are the, I mean, it seems like the hungry up and comers that are willing to dive in and figure something out. Right. Knowing that, Hey, guess what? I know 80% of this. So I am willing to put in a little extra time to get that extra 20% so that I can do this as I'm moving forward, whether that's something like an OSCP or training, but even like, Hey, I just, you know, I know what a network is supposed to look like. So let's go and, you know, scan it. And I, I should be able to tell that, you know, this is running on a weird port or this is different, that kind of thing. I mean, is that your experience too, Will? Uh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, like, I, I think I've always been one that's been really thirsty for knowledge. Like, I, I still remember back at Raytheon, like, never just completely happy with just writing software of, of my bit, wanting to understand the entire system. And I think I've continued to just pull that through as I've done my career. And so always, you know, wanted to learn more. I didn't know how to attack SFTP, but I'll go figure it out. Like I know how, I know how it fundamentally it works. So let's see if I can break it. Um, and kind of just always wanted to learn more and more and more. And I just took it as an opportunity to, if I never said no, I'd never stop learning and just hopefully would never fail on an engagement. And if I did, well, then that was a learning opportunity and I'd, I'd know at least some bounds that I, I shouldn't cross at least uh, immediately again. <laughs> I mean, I've, I'll, I'll be honest. I've always struggled with being semi-judgmental in the sense. And, and so now that we're talking about it, it's the only time I've really thought about it, I guess, is that, um, yeah, like very much being able to pick up, pick up a book or pick up, you know, browse the web and figure things out. Um, the people that I usually like working with and the people that I respect the most, typically have that trait, but that doesn't mean that that's exclusive to, there's nothing wrong. There's different learning styles and there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, needing to be trained. But um, I can certainly say like, I've had, you know, that, that sort of like, I don't know, prejudice or judgmental view sometimes where I'm like, yeah, if you need to be trained, then like, um, and you can't figure it out yourself. Like there's something off but to be clear now i realize that there's different learning styles it's just you know yeah it's, it's something you have to you figure out as you get older yeah no, that was definitely something when i was you know like helping build a team and trying to estimate how long it should take others to do work is it was one of those like judgmental things like well it only took me this long why is it going to take you this you know that, that was very difficult for me to like sit back and say okay not everyone performs yeah, and learns this way and can like come up to speed this quick. And it's, it's definitely hard to, you know, everyone learns their own way. Everyone comes up to speed in their own pace and you have to, you know, be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I similarly, mean, oh, sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, also it depends on the background, right? Yep. Like you talk about the internal stuff that you learned back in sixth and seventh grade, right? As you were going through that, uh, you know, I had, I had experiences with that, like we'd hire an intern or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, like, I assume you have this base level of knowledge that has to do with like Linux internals and configurations and networks and, you know, or even when you're talking to developers and that's not always the case, they don't understand what opening a socket actually does or, you know, like how a network functions. And 
So even when you're dealing with something as simple as, hey, you know, fixing some SQL injection or something like that, it's it just because you can fix it in five minutes doesn't mean that they can, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. Sorry, Ken, that what were you going to say? That's a hard thing to gauge. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, you know, like in the same the same vein, like I can't, um, I genuinely can't sit still and sit in the classroom and absorb anything. Like it doesn't, I wander off too quickly. And then I start thinking about like, you know, whatever. I get distracted is the point. I start mm-hmm. daydreaming, um, real bad problem. And um, so I can't sit in the classroom. So again, somebody else coming from the other side, different learning style, they might say, and that person's just, you know, whatever, they got ADD or yeah. <laughs> whatever, or dumb or whatever. But um, yeah, it just comes down to different learning styles. Yep. So. Cool. Cool. So, so well, tell us, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at uh, Netflix now. I mean, you know, senior security engineer, that's what everyone that we talk to there is, right? Yep. That's, that's the team. Um, yeah. You know, what are you working on? You mentioned some cloud security stuff. Uh, you spoke at reInvent recently. Um, just kind of give us a rundown of you know, what your current like, job and everything looks like. Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm on the team that owns our AWS infrastructure security. Uh, so we own all of our AWS accounts and kind of the permissioning model starting at IAM and uh, kind of that level up. Uh, so we're in charge of the the AWS native infrastructure components. Uh, and then we work with other different security teams for various different platform stuff. Uh, but I've spent the last uh, probably cor- couple quarters, almost a year now, focusing on uh, how could we actually uh, protect our credentials, like our AWS credentials, since everything at Netflix is running in AWS, how do we actually prevent or detect compromise? Uh, and so that's where a lot of my research has uh, stemmed from recently. Uh, and I, so I, I, in July, I guess, I spoke at Black Hat on a new method uh, for detecting credential compromise in AWS. So kind of like a, a simple machine learning model that learns as you uh, run in the cloud and starts alerting on uh, variations of where your calls are coming from. Um, and then, you know, to complement that, how, if you can detect, you know, why not try to prevent uh, so something I've been calling key enforcement um, or what we're calling API protect, which, uh, you know, how do you um, kind of describe your environment from a policy perspective and apply that strategically throughout your uh, IAM roles to prevent keys from actually working outside of your accounts? Um, and then, uh, you know, as I've been here and at different companies and seeing, you know, blog posts on bug bounties, uh, you know, seeing that the server-side request forgery attack or uh, XML external entity injection, the most common thing against cloud uh, running uh, services is attacking the metadata service. Uh, so how could I, uh, how could you start to protect against that kind of attack, right? You know, could you implement WAF rules? Uh, yeah, you, you can to some perspective, but there's ways around those, right? So, uh, you know, could I use and leverage my position at Netflix to try to get um, help from AWS? And then understanding that, you know, attacking it at the AWS level from like the service level is a very hard problem due to the number of customers and the vast different deployment methodologies. And, you know, you can't just make a change and break people. Uh, that's a bad model, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, and, surprising and, for that. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and then just trying to use our relationship uh, to see if we can get some uh, some changes made to some libraries. Um, I had done some research on what it would actually take to rotate a credential in AWS. Because uh, with, with the temporary credentials that EC2 servers get, uh, right now there's currently no method to actually revoke, revoke a single uh, credential. So either, either revoke the entire role and take your entire service down, uh, or you figure out a way to rotate it. And so I started doing this uh, experimentation on if I had a thousand node cluster, could I successfully rotate a credential across all the entire fleet uh, without taking the service down? Uh, and then I found out that the SDK, even though you can actually rotate a role on a EC2 instance, the SDKs that you use don't actually support that functionality. They don't know to look back into the metadata service to see that, hey, there's a new credential and this one that I was using has been revoked. You know, we, there's a policy now on it that says it's not valid. So to be clear, like if I built a Rails app using the AWS SDK gem, I pushed that application live. It uh, had spun up and then used uh, the AWS SDK to grab its credentials, presumably from like the metadata that metadata URL running on the EC2 instance, and that yep. has that EC2 instance has a role attached to it. Yep. Um, so it's grabbing the credentials for that role from that EC2 instance on that metadata URL. If I then through the AWS API or console changed the role associated with, attached to that EC2 instance then the code, unless it's, I guess you're saying, uh, unless it's like re respun up or something like redeployed, then it just doesn't know of the change and continues on? Yeah, the, the way the SDKs are written are, uh, if they're grabbing credentials from uh, the metadata endpoint, uh, that URL on box, then they're gonna cache those credentials uh, in memory and not check for a new set uh, until 15 minutes before expiration. Uh, so if you've if you've actually rotated the role uh, and then revoked the old role that was on the the box, uh, that cache credential would still be used until the expiration period. Uh, so you would potentially take your service down one to six hours, depending on when you actually rotated that role. Or so the idea is you would just, if you can, you'd bounce that service again with a new role, uh, and that would be the way to rotate it. But at least, you know, I, I figured out that, oh, you know, we can't programmatically rotate this across. Uh, so it's, you know, it's it becomes even more important to be able to prevent compromise. Uh, and so we started trying to see, you know, can the metadata service support a header, uh, you know, similar to the GCP and those kind of things. Uh, didn't really get the traction uh, there. Uh, so I just started making PRs to the individual libraries. Uh, and so like the one I reference is like I, my first PR was to Ruby. Funny enough, you mentioned Rails, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm always going to mention Ruby. Yeah, he always <laughs> mentions Rails. <laughs> uh, so my first PR to the AWS SDK was for the Ruby SDK where I, uh, I built a POC proxy just to see what traffic looked like from SDKs to the metadata service. Uh, saw that they weren't setting the user agent uh, and decided would they accept a PR to actually set that to something. Uh, so kind of describe the SSRF uh, attack and how this would allow you to build a proxy to mitigate it. Uh, they accepted it. And then I took that to the Java team, made PRs to their library and referenced that, uh, got them to accept and merge. And then I took all those to the, the Python team and was like, hey, guys, <laughs> let's work together. Uh, and then I got those merged. And then I kind of took that and the relationship I have at Netflix with AWS to the global SDK team and got them to commit to not changing those user agents. 
That is uh, amazing. That is amazing so work. That's what the reInvent talk, uh, it coupled my black hat talk, and then I, I flipped gears and said, okay, let's talk about preventing compromise. Uh, and that's where I unveiled the, the metadata work uh, originally. And so we, we open sourced an example, GoLang proxy. It's like 100, lang 100 lines of Go that you could uh, compile and put in front of your metadata service with an IP table rule and prevent SSRF of your credentials. Uh, so kind of just pushing that forward. Uh, and then now it's been moving to the, like, I had my next Eureka moment, like, oh, let's couple some things together and build this thing. And so I've been proving that out over the last six weeks and hope to, like, maybe in Q1 next year, uh, do another blog post about the, the evolution of the protection uh, kind of life cycle that I've been working. Nice, nice. And, and uh, actually, I'd come across this this week. Um, for Google Cloud, there's actually a, a version one, I guess, API. Yeah, API yeah. Uh, so that doesn't require the header. I mean, maybe that's what you talk about in your talk. I, I don't know. No, but, I, uh, I don't mention yeah. the Google uh, piece in my talk, but I saw a either Shopify or some sort of uh, Hacker yeah, One yeah. write-up that was showing the 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 V1 beta endpoint. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. I was like, yeah, yeah that's how I saw it. I, for, yeah, I couldn't remember, like, I couldn't remember if it was through a bounty. The reason I was like, oh, I saw this week, so I couldn't remember if it was through our bounty program or something I read. It was yeah. that hacker, you're right, Shopify hacker uh, one submission. So that was pretty sweet. Now, and like, so, and to talk about that for a second, like, from a server side request forgery standpoint, I guess, so it, the header essentially like, so I can redirect a request, but presumably if I don't have like, if I can't do like a C, CRLF and add a new header, then like, I, you know, that's mitigated at that point. Yeah, as, mean, long as, you can, yeah as long as you can't control the header, uh, which my assumption in the SSRF case is that your, your SSRF and X, XXC vulnerability does not allow header control. Uh, so as long as you can state that, then you've and have this proxy running uh, with the latest SDKs, then you can effectively mitigate that class of vulnerability against the credentials in your environment. Um, and so that's something we've been pushing out and uh, proven to be uh, really effective for us. Nice. And Scott Pe Piper, who's on the chat, had said, uh, "We're going to keep yelling at AWS's metadata PM until they add that host header." <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be really great when they do. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if and or like when they do that, how the actual rollout will be and uh, how easy it'll be to just kind of say, "Use this metadata endpoint," and most importantly, don't have that like V1 available. <laughs> you know, learn learning yeah. from the GCP uh, cases. I found that report, by the way, Seth. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, paste that that SSRF in in uh, Shopify's exchange that led to root, root access. That's just, yeah, yeah, do that. That was a gnarly one because it wasn't just like, uh, oh, we have this SSRF. It was SSRF to credentials, which allowed me to put my own key, which allowed me to get on any instance. I, I think if I remember the chain correctly, it was it was pretty gnarly uh, to like account ownership. And I'm only uh, chuckling because I'm like, that is pretty dang sweet. Uh, not chuckling at Shopify because the, the truth of the matter is, I think we're always, everyone in who plays blue teams, like always worried that that's going to pop up. And it, like you said with AWS, like, and, and just Google Cloud, Azure, whatever, like that, that like SSRF is becoming 
like really prevalent thing. And then you couple in with cloud services and being able to fetch credentials. And we, Seth, I know we've been talking about this for, for uh, well, it's been mentioned yeah, here and there. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a real, real problem. Uh, yeah. I think the biggest problem uh, is not even, uh, it's not just code that you can control, right? It's not just the applications you write. It's any third party SaaS app that you've brought into your environment. Uh, you know, it's not even like keeping it up to date. It's whether or not those uh, those avenues, those vectors have been found. And even if they've been found, how quickly can you get it patched and update? Because a lot of times you're you're relying on, uh, you know, third parties or the, the, the vendor that you've chosen. Right. So, um, yeah, if you know, if, if we can get that down to the metadata service, that would be awesome. But until then, you know, we've got at least have some sort of stopgap. Uh, that you can put in place to protect your applications as well as the, as well as those third party applications you're running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and, and I mean, we talk about third party applications. It's also those third party libraries, right? Oh, yep. The the middleware for Node and Rails and everything else. They do they do make requests out. They do you know allow people mm -hmm. to post data in and and then it's rolling that new stuff. Yeah. Luckily, there's never ever an issue where someone social engineers their way into taking over a popular open source library and then, uh, you know, presents <laughs> social, the back door and everyone's code. By okay. sending an email? <laughs> Asking if I could yeah. have access. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yep. I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be hard to work, right? Or to be a good hack, right? Yeah. So. I think the, uh, the whole... That whole vendor attack uh, supply chain is going to be the next big uh, problem area. I, I, uh, I've been running some type of squatting stuff with Travis and Scott Barons on our team. Uh, and uh, like little known fact, I own like 1,150 PyPy packages. Uh, and <laughs> 1,140, like 41 of those are type of squatted. Um, just to see like what would metrics look like. Uh, and preventing people to from actually uh, like installing. So all my packages, if you tried to install them, they will uh, sys exit one or you know like log .fatal, uh on the install <laughs> so that you can't possibly get it to work. And it says you probably meant this package instead. Like I, okay. I'm trying to drive people to the right package, right, and prevent someone from actually <clears throat> type of squatting those. But it, it's amazing to see like I I get folks contacting me. Uh, hey, I can't install your package. Can you help me? And, and it's like, please read the error. Uh, you probably meant this one. Or I actually had a big company, like big, big name company, uh, write me and ask me for uh, a license to use my package. <laughs> because they wanted the popular package, like the real package. Right. But when they were looking up the actual, like whoever was doing the licensing, they're like, go look up. Python JSON logger, right? And so they did it without the dash. And they're like, oh, Will Binkson writes that. Let's let's email him and ask for permission. <laughs> One billion dollars. You can have money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's but so it's, it's been it's been interesting to see. Uh, we actually started forecasting uh, like um, I don't know if you know Ryan McGeehan or McGoo on Twitter. Um, he worked at Facebook back in the day and uh, but we started forecasting uh, from a group like what would it look like or what's what's the chances that uh, there's a huge supply chain attack 
through a common package. And so I started pulling some of my uh, type of squat data to kind of feed that forecast internally uh, with, with the group that he was running it with. Uh, and it's interesting to see like just how many PyPy downloads there are from just a pip install, not to even like think about the number of uh, mirrors that are hosting it and what the installs would look like from there. I am now following Magoo, by the way. I did not, uh, I didn't, wasn't yeah, familiar. I never, yeah, never met. Great guy to, to talk to, super smart. Awesome. Well, add it to the list of people to reach out to, I, <laughs> I suppose. So um, one of the things that some, well, uh, Scott Piper had a question for you, and it was to basically ask about Trailblazer. And um, I guess CloudTrail not logging all of uh, the API, all API events. I'm assuming that means different services and their API events on those services uh, within CloudTrail. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I orig- so Trailblazer, taking a step back, is a, a library or a tool I wrote uh, originally to help uh, kind of enumerate the AWS API calls and then try to associate those back to what's actually logged in CloudTrail. <clears throat> and Scott's been really good at, uh, you know, poking at it and uh, ex- uh, he did a PR that I, I have to look at to actually uh, look at the services that I haven't actually looked at yet uh, in full detail and like um, figure like push the the pieces there to actually make those pieces work. Uh, but the idea was um, if you ask AWS what's logged in CloudTrail, they can't tell you because CloudTrail itself is a service provided internally to the different AWS services. Uh, so the CloudTrail team provides it out to the other service teams. And then it's up to those service teams to actually implement the logging themselves. And so when you get that, you get a bunch of inconsistencies in how things are logged. The error messages are inconsistent, uh, as well as, you know, whether or not a call is actually logged or not. You know, does the team consider this a data call or a a control plane call? And even if it's control plane call, did they decide to log it or not? And so uh, Scott's found, I think, recently that even some of the calls that you might consider control plane and IAM, uh, aren't being logged if they're not successful. Uh, and so Trailblazer was kind of the, the initial attempt to help enumerate those things. Uh, due to even inconsistencies in the libraries within AWS, uh, Scott has found that uh, it doesn't necessarily work all the time. Uh, and so there requires some like one-offs for depending on the actual call. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a first, at least a jump start, and, you know, get the idea rolling that, there potentially is a path forward to understanding everything that's called. Um, but, you know, it would be nice if there was just this master list somewhere. Um, uh, and when I first wrote Trailblazer, it started as the, I'm going to solve this CloudTrail problem. Uh, and it quickly pivoted to the, oh, I could just use this to uh, automate some attacks. Uh, so one, one, mode of the, <laughs> one mode of Trailblazer is kind of the enumeration, and another mode is kind of like hey, run this list of commands with these delays in these regions that I gave you. And it, so that's a, that's a mode that we run it most most often is just, you know, I want to run get caller identity plus a describe instance plus this. And let's, because that's, you know, that's an IOC that we've heard about. And let's see if we can actually detect that in our environment. Um, so I'm oh, super, that's cool. So you're sort of, you're, you're doing some simulation. It's like purple teaming. You're doing some simulation, but also... Ensuring that you're catching that your team's catching this and that you're triggering like you're you're seeing those events and you're acting on them presumably 
Yeah, so uh, we started doing this automation uh, kind of like random, our AppSec team will do these random tests. Uh, and so now they can easily just string together the calls uh, using Trailblazer. Um, and then we can see, go back either in our logs to see did we see that or did did the alerts actually fire because uh, we have them set up. So we can use it from like a uh, not negative test, but like, uh, you know, making sure that our alert pipelines work completely like a CI, you know, and know that like if this role calls it, then we sh this should propagate all the way through to an alert. And if we get the alert and this test was fired from the system, then not page kind of deal. Uh, so we can use it from just making sure everything's continually working smooth to one off. Like I want to just see can can Will and his team actually detect this? Uh, so the AppSec guys can go into the system and uh, feed a list of commands in a certain order and see like did the anomaly detection actually work? Uh, that's that's how you do it at, at scale. That's awesome. Yeah. So I like yeah, I, I now I'm know. more interested. Like I haven't played with cloud or yeah Trailblazer at all. Um, but just out of curiosity, like how many services or how many calls, like what is kind of the percentage that you're seeing there that aren't actually covered and don't actually implement CloudTrail properly? Yeah, so uh, to be honest, I haven't actually fully enumerated the list. I bet Scott's run it more than I have. Um, we did it service per service as we saw. Um, and luckily we have an internal tool that keeps track of every unique call that we've seen. So we have our own little master list and Trailblazer was kind of built to try to help supplement that. Uh, but I think there's over 5,000 unique API calls within AWS. And uh, I would be willing to bet that only half of those are, are logged, but not that I don't know for sure. You know, don't quote okay. me on the, the true number. I'm not sure what Scott's seen is he's, he's been spending more time in Trailblazer than I have. <laughs> uh, he's been giving it more love than I, uh, but you know, this, I'm about to start uh, the holiday break on Thursday, so I'm planning to, to, to give it the love that it deserves and actually uh, get Scott's code merged in. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, funny you mentioned the holidays. <laughs> I'm like worried <laughs> with the holiday season. Like you said, people having time to work on the things they want to work on uh -huh. uh, and being a bug bounty first responder. So to know people like you are improving their tools <laughs> during the time that bounty people also have like more free time. We'll you're, see how this turns out. But you're, well, yeah, you're, it's going to say the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like, I mean, you can either do what the Sans holiday hack fest or, you know, it's like, oh, I haven't played with this. You know, what, what bug bounties out that are out there that actually do something X, Y, and Z. So... I'm yep. glad I'm not responding to it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, I go off call tomorrow for the rest of the year. So, <laughs> See, so you're saying it's okay? You just looks like open season after tomorrow. That's uh, I'm just saying I'm not on call. We have someone, but <laughs> I, I can go play with my tools. <laughs> that's awesome that you have some free time for the. I mean, that's that's pretty. Yeah, it's a good couple of weeks. I'm sure some good stuff will come out of it. Um, I, so just switching gears for a second, I know you, um, um, training and are doing training. Uh, can you tell people a little bit about that training, the, uh, the AWS security training you, you've, you've been giving? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd always, so I guess a side note, um, or like how I got interested in doing training is I teach a university course back home at uh, the University of Texas, El Paso. And so I've always had like kind of this interest in teaching. 
Um, and so in the spring, I travel back home once a month to teach in person uh, and then uh, teach remote the rest of the time. Uh, but I've always wanted to put together an AWS course. And I, I guess at Sigil, I did uh, instructor-led training as well. <clears throat> so that's probably where it all started. Um, but I started, you know, hearing that people wanted some instructor-led AWS courses, didn't really know of any. There's, you know, the online AWS and those AWS certifications. Uh, but I thought it might be interesting to put together a course and kind of just start from this, the beginning. Teach the things that I've learned over the years of operating in the cloud, especially here at Netflix, and kind of the, the gotchas that we've seen. And put together a course that uh, can meet the most basic of person who hasn't touched AWS to those that have been running in AWS for many years. Uh, and so the I delivered a three or four classes at uh, external this year uh, in AW, on this AWS kind of security 101, uh, where we covered the basics of each service and you know the gotchas and kind of how to put those all together. Um, and so I did like AppSec Cali in January, AppSec USA, um, and a couple others, I forget off the top of my head. Uh, uh, but then also started teaching it internally here at Netflix from just like, here's here's what we want you to know about AWS when you, as, as a brand new employee. <clears throat> and so now I'm starting to think like, how do I expand that into uh, maybe incorporate some of the research that I've been doing and you know turn that into like security monitoring 101 and let's let's throw kind of like flaws too. Let's throw some cloud trail out there and show you how you can detect compromise. Uh, you know, let's go to deploy Airbnb stream alert and throw some rules out there and show you how in real time you can see these uh, environment changes. Uh, so now I'm starting to, to evolve it a little more into from a one day to maybe uh, a two day. So the first day you learn uh, the basics and then the second day you put them uh, into use. Uh, but it's been great. It's been really well received. Uh, I think apps at Cali, you know, humbly, we're, we were sold out with a waiting list. Uh, nice. Wow. That's really, really good. Uh, and we're, we're going to do it again at AppSec this year uh, in January. So, uh, you know, I, I take it as like, even if, even if you haven't, or if you've operated in the cloud, uh, you know, it's still a good opportunity to maybe learn something you haven't known or just pick my brain. Like, when we teach the course, we, we always say, you know, the, our, our slide content is super basic, but we'll go as, as deep as you want in that, that area. Uh, so it, it kind of addresses any audience. And so as, as long as you don't uh, care that I might geek out for five minutes on IAM and addressing a question, <laughs> then, yeah. you know, come join me. <laughs> no, I, I, Seth and I have said the same thing to folks who are like, you know, you're like, oh, is it a problem if I have the slides or share them out? If the slides give you all of the course, then um, well, like, what are we doing? If that's the reality of security training, right? It's like you, you as a student should definitely be um, speaking up and, and picking the instructor's brain. Is there anything that surprises your students? Like, is there anything that as you're going through that, that day that, you know, maybe folks who aren't as familiar with uh, AWS security, they hear it and they're like, Oh, I, that's surprising. Or I really wouldn't have thought about that. And it's super important. Is there any sort of kind of, kind of consistent thing that pops up? Yeah. Um, I, from AWS, it's, it's always like the, not everything is logged in CloudTrail is a big surprise to people. Um, you know, when we start talking about IAM and um, 
like the fact I think it still exists that like if you were to delete an IAM role, it just goes away. It doesn't. There's no like preconditions that happen, and see like is this in use? So if if you accidentally delete the the wrong role, you took any service down using that role. Um, so like it's it's just kind of those gotchas that we know of this because it's happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, know what happens when you delete a role. Yeah, it's it's not saying. a good it's not a good thing, right? And um, you know we talk a lot about you know. The, the most popular Netflix thing out there is chaos engineering, right? Uh, mm. And so we talk about, you know, kind of our regional deployment strategies. Uh, but when you look at a lot of things like DNS, uh, IAM, those are all global. And so I still remember the first time I pushed out API Protect here at Netflix in production. It was the, the most stressful six hours of my life. Because <laughs> I, I was pushing it out in batches, you know, trying to be methodical about what services I hit and when. And, uh, but knowing that, like, if, if I, t if I took a service down to a, due to a bad push, uh, there's no, there's no, like, vacating a region to get out of that error. It's, it's the entire service is down. Uh, and so that, you know, that, it's just kind of thinking through those methodologies that, you know, if, if you're deploying in multi-region, maybe you haven't considered. Uh, and we've, just operating at our scale, we've run into a lot of, uh, like, hard limits within AWS. And so... You know, those are the kind of things that, you know, we can talk about. And, like, I don't know how many people know the max number of instance profiles that an account can have, but we do because, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we've run into it. And, it, you know, it kind of has shaped some of our uh, architecture and some of the things that we've wanted to do we can't do yet. Um, and so I think that's that's what I enjoy the most about is just, like, having those kind of conversations. And, like, if you're in my class and you're – you're trying to design something. Well, let's let's talk about it. You know, let's let's run through that, and you know, I'll learn something, you'll learn something, and that's what I really uh, love about it. Uh, but yeah, those are the, the two was, things off the top of my head that like I can remember that really surprised people. If I was to take your class, would I learn what Netflix's monthly bill looks like? <laughs> uh, I don't even know what monthly bill looks like, but it's a lot. <laughs> I think. Uh, I'm sure but, it's pounds of money. <laughs> that's how that's weighed. Yeah. yeah, I think from what I remember, right, uh, now don't quote me on this because I've only been here two years, but like it used to be reams of paper when they had actually delivered a paper bill. Like it, it'd be like you went to Office Depot and actually bought a, a box of paper. It was like the bill that was delivered every month, I think. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, just I glad imagine. I don't have to consolidate that bill every month. I can only imagine. Well, yeah, so um, I guess, you know, as we're wrapping up here, since it's been, I think so we- It's we, an hour, yeah. We mentioned yeah, it we always, yeah. <laughs> You yeah. mentioned like it's going to fly by and you're right. absolutely correct. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's it's always fun when you get to just, I mean, for us, it's really fun because we get to, to get folks like yourself on and just we get to pick your brain and just ask you a bunch of questions and it's easy for us, you know, to just hang out. So, yeah, um, yeah we love doing it. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess one of the one of the things, Seth, I mean, one of the things we always ask is, you know, like, is there anywhere that, I mean, you had mentioned AppSec Cali, so you're giving a course there. Um, and we basically are trying to figure out like, if people want to meet you or talk to you, you know, where are you going to be at? Uh, what are you up to over the next, you know, three, six months, three to six months? Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's see. AppSec Cali, I'll be there all week uh, doing a training alongside y'all. Uh, we'll be there at the same time. Um, I'm actually giving a talk there as well. 
Uh, so I'll be around the AppSec area the entire week. Uh, so happy to meet up with anyone. Um, I'll be in at ShmooCon right before that, just hanging out, not at, not speaking, but just enjoying a conference for once. Um, and uh, then after that is uh, B-Sides San Francisco. Uh, I help organize B-Sides. Uh, and so I'll be there running that show uh, with everyone. So I'll be, uh, let's see, that's March 3rd and 4th. And that's as far as I know so far. Uh, we'll probably- <laughs> You got we'll pro three months yeah. planned. Roughly. Three months planned. Uh, I'll be at summer camp, I'm sure, uh, just like every year, running around the, the Packet Hacking Village uh, and probably at Black Hat again, just attending. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, the, the big ones are AppSec Cali and B-Sides, uh, you know, two, two conferences that I help organize uh, and I'm very, very fond of. But if, if anyone out there is attending and sees me, feel free, you know, please stop me. Let's let's chat. Throw something at him and say hello, right? That's, that's usually how it goes. So what are you speaking on at AppSec Cali? Same. Yeah, AppSec Cali is a, re a repeat of my reInvent talk. Uh, okay. And potentially the follow-on information, if I can get the everything done and published. Uh, if not, then that'll be probably later in the, the Q1 on our tech blog. Come on, you got like four weeks. You're, you're good. I've got an entire holiday, right? So. Uh, yeah, you've got, a, you've got a holiday. You don't have to spend time with family. Don't worry. It's, it's all good. You've got tools to write and talks to work on. That's right. You know, we're going to hold you to this, Will. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, a shout out. I'll be sponsoring students for Beatsides. You know, every year I've tweeted oh. out that I've sponsored students. And I don't know if it's like the fear factor of actually like responding to a tweet. Uh, but every year, no one's actually taken me up on the student sponsorship. Uh, and so I hope to actually have people take me up this coming year when I tweet out that I'm sponsoring. It's kind of right now, I'm still waiting to fill my hum humble bundles from No Starch that I want to give away free books. Uh, <laughs> and no one's responding nice. to me. <laughs> so That's crazy. Yeah, you should. Uh, yeah, that is crazy, right? Yeah. Definitely hit us up when you're um, when you're promoting, when you, when you said you're tweeting out the um, sponsorship yeah. so that we can make sure that we also distribute yeah, that out. Retweet that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, along those lines, you know, before we kind of call it today, right? Like obviously you've got your course. Um, if, you know, somebody is getting into like cloud security and AWS security, like what is the, what is the first place that you point them at? Yeah. Uh, I think AWS just revamped a lot of their uh, like security docs and just cloud docs. And that's a, always a good place to start. Uh, you know, just Googling, you know, reading uh, Scott's work, you know, our, our tech blog has some stuff as well. Uh, you know, just the internet is full of information. Uh, you know, careful on the stack overflow stuff you read. Don't just trust that out of the box, but <laughs> never, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I don't, I don't actually have a go-to place to just learn. Um, you know, I just reading and playing with it, you know, set up an account free tier is amazing. You're, you know, you know, one free year of AWS resources, uh, up to an extent. Uh, that's just a great way to start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, getting your hands dirty is always the, is always the way to go. I don't know. I like, I always, I always tell people that a lot, you know, it, it seems like more and more of my job is just knowing how to manipulate Google to tell me 
what someone else has experienced in the same situation, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it is stack overflow, okay, take that with a grain of salt, but even like getting at the AWS documentation and other things, it's a lot easier to go to Google and say, hey, tell me where I find this so I'm not digging around, you know, clicking links in AWS. It's, you know, it yeah. takes me directly there. So. Yeah, I'm on Google every day trying to figure out an example in Bodo of how to do something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that sounds familiar. So, I mean, that's a lot of our life as, you know, software engineers, AppSec, you know, people is being able to find the answers that we want. Yep. Uh, cool. And well, kudos okay, to so Bodo team yeah. because they, like uh, Chris and I were trying to add some modules for Google and for Google Cloud, and it is not the same. It is, the support is not the same. That's a very difficult environment in comparison. So, Kudos to the Bodo team that, that works on that. Yeah, that team's great. Yeah, I'd agree. Cool. Um, let's see. Um, what else was I? Was, yeah, so AppSec Galley, besides SF, um, hit you up on Twitter. I don't think we've actually mentioned your Twitter handle, but it is what? At underbar underbar muscles, right? Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, that is is correct. there a story behind that, or is that just. Uh, no, there, there's a story. Um, so back when I started going to DEF CON, uh, I was in like really, really good shape. Uh, I was like competition ready almost, I guess, from a bodybuilding perspective. And I was uh, hanging out with the Wall of Sheep crew and we were literally sitting there and they were getting up to go out for the night. And they're like, come on, muscles, get your ass up. And <laughs> it kind of, they were like, yes, we're going to start calling you muscles. I didn't have a handle back then, like seriously just getting into the industry and it just kind of stuck. Uh, but now it's great because like men's fitness and all those magazines follow me on Twitter and I, I disappoint them every, every day when I tweet about InfoSec. That is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. So yeah, that's cool, I'm, right? I'm, I'm going to start tweeting uh, bad workout advice, kind of like the bad DEF CON advice. And bad diets, like fake diets that don't exist yet. Yep. The Cheetos that, that diet. Really the Cheetos fun. diet, yeah. <laughs> Cheetos and Pepsi. Cheetos and Pepsi. That's <laughs> I don't lose all the weight, right? Like, yeah, yep. sweet, cool. <laughs> but you know, follow you on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, we'll, we'll be interested to see what happens over the next, you know, month um, as you're pushing out the, you know, the next iteration of that stuff. Uh, it sounds like Scott was on the channel as well, talking through Trailblazer, and he's still enumerating as well. So he didn't have an answer for what was and isn't, you know, covered. Yeah, it's a hard um, problem, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out one day, I'm sure. Yeah, you will or AWS or Amazon will come out with something and, and be able to tell us definitively what's actually covered. Yeah. Um, but um, otherwise, uh, it's great having you. Thanks for joining us for the night. Um, Ken, did you have uh, anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, we got the t-shirts. Um, so I think, uh, we, oh, and Will, yeah, we're, we're going to contact you to get, make sure we get your size, uh, oh, your to ship the t-shirts too, our t-shirt. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're going to be at upset Cali as well. Um, yeah, I don't think so Seth, other than like, Will, don't drop off when we stop, uh, hang on for a couple minutes yep. and, uh, yeah. yeah. Seth, anything else? No, I don't. I don't think so. Not uh, not at this time. I, you know, again, I wanted to thank everybody for supporting or listening this year. Um, you know, we got a lot of plans for 2019. Ken and I are going to kind of take a step back over the next few weeks 
and talk about where we want to take the show. So if you know you have suggestions or you have topics that you want us to cover, please let us know. Um, obviously, for the two of us, it's just you know this is what we want to do. We like to talk to people like Will. Uh, we learn a lot about the industry and about what we do on a daily basis. So it's it's been great. Um, again, we appreciate the listeners. We appreciate those that are you know are taking part and you know really want to involve themselves. So thanks. And actually, that's what I've got. What? Yeah, I would say uh, actually on that note, you mentioned um, yeah. So we're when we come back uh, with our next guest next year. It's weird to say say that. Uh, it's going to be the crew from Segment, uh, both the security team and developers, and they're going to talk a little bit about like some of their SSRF prevention and DNS rebinding prevention and things like that. So it should be really, really a good way to kick off the, the new year. Nice. Cool. All right. Thanks, Will. Uh, Thank thanks, you. Ken. This was fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. We really appreciate you being on. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. <laughs>